All right, good morning. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thanks for the sunshine. Thanks for the opportunity to be down here in Florida. And uh, thanks for this, uh, this, this brief moment right now where we just want to quiet our hearts and be still before you and know that you are God. We just invite you uh, to speak to us. Speak through me, Lord. Give me the words that you would have to say. And uh, we look forward to a great day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I've been on this series now. I think I'm starting... I think I'm starting my sixth year on this series as being the chaplain and uh, doing this thing. One of the one of the uh, one of the joys of my life, one of the blessings in my life, is that I get to go out there and race on Sunday afternoon. And uh, but I race amateur, and it's it's just for fun. And I come out here, bring the church to the racetrack, and then as a way to relax, if you call it that, I go around and ride for three hours, wear myself out, and can't hardly tear down at the end of the race. But I've been doing that, and it's been a lot of fun. A couple years ago, as amateur racing goes, we all get to know each other in our class and have this little camaraderie and have this uh, you know friendly rivalry going on. And uh, a couple years ago, there was Ryan Brehob was in my class, just a friend of mine. Got to know him because he was on my row, and we talk smack during the week and Facebook and and text back and forth and talk all kinds of trash. And then we go out there and race. And John Penton, 2011, uh, on the start, flag goes down. I take off, go around the motocross track. We're getting ready to make a right-hand turn to come off the moto track and go up the hill. And I see out of the corner of my eye, I see Brehob come flying by me. I'm like, you can't go that fast into that corner. But he was. He was going that fast into the corner. And then sure enough, man, his back end started to pass his front end. And he's up over the top. And he's, he's going all the way over, lands on his head. And I said, yep, I knew it. You couldn't go that fast into that corner. And uh, I see him down there on the ground out of, this, out of the uh, corner of my other eye as I go by him. I'm like, ah, there are other people. They'll take care of him. I'm sure he'll catch up to me in a little bit. At the end of the race, at the end of the three-hour race, I cross the finish line. The checker flag is out. And I see Brehob standing there. And he's in his blue jeans and T-shirt. And I'm like, what happened to you, dude? He's like, well, I crashed. I was like, yeah, I know you crashed, but what, what's the deal? He's like, I crashed. I landed on my shoulder, and I couldn't finish the race. I said, well, that serves you right. You do not pass me. I will call down fire from heaven on you. <laughs> and it just jumped out of my mouth before I, and I was like, man, that wasn't a really nice thing to say. <laughs> but he laughed, and we've teased each other about that back and forth over the last couple of years. And then at St. Clairsville, Ohio last year, I crashed on the start, and I went over the bars, and I landed on my shoulder, and I didn't get to finish the race. And he's like, yeah, so what's about that uh, fire from heaven thing going on there? And I'm still recovering from that fire from heaven thing. I mean, I can't, I can't move my arm. I had surgery four months ago, and I'm, not, I'm about 50% recovered. So I am here for ministry today. I'm not going out there and race, but I'll cheer all you guys on. I'll pit for you if you need me to. Do whatever I can to help you out. But today, I want to look at a guy in the Bible who really did call down fire from heaven. And his name was Elijah. It really happened. Um, and it happened about, uh, Elijah was alive about 2,875 years ago. And we know this because the Bible, the way that the Old Testament works, is that it, it, um, it categorizes and lists everything out by dates, basically. They didn't have a calendar back then the way that we do. But here's what the Bible says. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, the neighboring country, Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. So here you got it. It's a history book. All right, so that's how we're able to go. This was about 2,900 years ago. Uh, Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now Ahab was about the 10th king of Israel. 
Uh, he's the 10th king since David, actually. So he's the 11th king of Israel, I think. Um, and anyway, if you've heard of David, David was like the best king that Israel had ever had, man after God's own heart. About 100 years after David, after David was the man after God's own heart, leading the nation of Israel into truth and righteousness and doing things the right way, along comes this guy Ahab. And every king since David did just a little bit worse than the king before them. By the time we get to Ahab, here's this evil, wicked king, and the Bible says he did more evil than anybody who had come before him. goes on to say that Ahab went to one of the neighboring countries, the, uh, the Sidonians, and married the daughter of the king there. And that was a big deal because that was a pagan nation. They had nothing to do with God of Israel. And so uh, Ahab marries this woman called Jezebel. If you've ever heard of Jezebel, she's like the most wicked woman in the Bible, and, um, and that's Ahab's wife. All right, so Jezebel brings all of her foreign gods with her. And she brings Baal and Asherah. And the nation of Israel, Ahab leads the nation of Israel into this worship of Baal and Asherah. Now Elisha the Tishbite, this is uh, the continuation of the story. Elisha the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, name's Elisha, said to Ahab, As long as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah, Elijah is called to be a, a prophet of God. Called to go to Ahab and, and tell Ahab, here's my message for Ahab. And so Elijah goes to him and says, hey, God says there's not going to be any rain. There's not even going to be any dew for, the, for who knows how long until God gives me the word to tell to you. So in other words, Ahab, all the success and materialism and money and things that you think you have is about to shrivel up. You're going to go into a drought, and you're going to go into a famine, and your economy is going to shrink up, and the next thing, you're, you're going to be worried about living day to day. Ahab didn't really believe him. But the next thing we read about Ahab is that he's a shepherd. Because we read that Ahab takes his livestock and all of his animals, and he goes to his servant, and he says, hey, we got to survive. You take the animals, you go this half of the kingdom, I'll go this half, we got to find water. So Ahab's out wandering around as if he were a shepherd. The king of Israel becomes a shepherd because there's no water. He's no longer worried about foreign policy or, or stimulating the economy or anything like that. He's just worried about finding water to keep his flock alive. And so along comes Ahab. It's been about three years. And along comes Elijah. It's been about three years. And God says, all right, go, tell, uh, go find Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. As, as Elijah comes up to Ahab, Ahab says, hey, is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? And Elijah says, that's, I'm not the troublemaker, you're the troublemaker, but let's dispense with the name-calling thing here, all right? Here's what I want to do. And he lays, down, he lays down this challenge to Ahab. He says, now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, all these prophets that are getting to eat the very finest foods and not having to succumb to this famine and they get to eat the very best of everything and they're living it at the palace and they're living in Jerusalem, get those guys and let's meet at Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and he said, and here's what he says to him. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then serve him. But if it's Baal, then serve him. And the people answered him not a word. In other words, they had nothing to say to him. Hey, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is Baal, serve him. But quit wavering between these two opinions. And they're like, well, you know, who's to say? Who's to say who's right? I mean, don't all roads lead to heaven? Isn't everything good as long as I believe in something? Isn't that going to be good enough? And Elijah says, no, there's a line in the sand. you got to choose. you got to figure out what do you believe in. Well, I thought it was just good enough to go along. And everybody's quiet. And so 
Elijah throws down the challenge. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out who's God. If Baal is God, then you can serve him. If God is God, capital G God is God, then we're going to serve him. So I need two bulls, and I want two piles of wood. What we're going to do is we're going to make two sacrifices. You guys are going to have a sacrifice. I'm going to have a sacrifice. But neither one of us are going to light fire to our sacrifice. Instead, you're going to pray to your God to send down fire to light this thing. I'm going to pray to my God. Whoever God answers will be God. Is that agreeable? And the people say, sure. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah say, that's a great idea. That's a stupid idea. How is fire going to come down from heaven? I mean, for real. It's one thing to say to your buddy that you're racing with, I'll call down fire on you, but for real? Fire from heaven? What makes you think that you can pray to anybody and have fire come from heaven? And yet that's exactly what Elijah was instructed by God to do. So he had something going for him. But the prophets of Baal, they sincerely believed that they could pray and fire would come from heaven. Just remember that. They sincerely believed that that would happen. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And so these guys start, to, they start praying to, to Baal. They start crying out with a loud voice. They build their altar. They put the bull on it. They got the wood on it. It's all ready to go. No fire is lit. They start praying, oh, Baal, hear our prayer. Answer our prayer. And nothing happens. They start crying out louder, oh, Baal, hear our prayer. And nothing happens. And they start getting louder, and they start dancing around the altar, and they start limping around the altar. And about noontime, from morning till noon, this goes on. And finally, at noontime, Elijah can't take it anymore, and he starts antagonizing them. He says, hey, maybe your God, he's a pretty important God. Maybe he can't hear you. You're going to have to cry louder. Hey, maybe he's away on vacation. You better cry louder. Maybe he's on the pot. <laughs> maybe he's relieving himself. You better cry louder. And they start crying louder and louder and louder and dancing around more vigorously. And then it finally gets to a point. They cried aloud and cut themselves with swords and knives until the blood gushed forth. They started cutting themselves. If I can just get my God's attention, I'm yelling at the top of my voice. If I can just get his attention, that's not working. I'll start cutting myself and get his attention. What makes them think that that God is going to do anything for them? Here's the simple answer. They believed that that God would do something for them because that God had done something for them already. That God had already come through and answered some sort of prayer in some sort of way for them already. All right, this, isn't the this, this is the first instance that we've ever seen about cutting in the Bible. Here in America, we have this epidemic uh, of teenagers that are cutting their arms. It's teenagers with low self-esteem cutting their arms. We call it a new epidemic. It's not a new epidemic. This was 3,000 years ago. There's one other reference in the Bible uh, in relation to cutting, and that's in the New Testament. It's a, it's a demon-possessed man that Jesus cast the demon out of who was cutting himself, and, uh, and Jesus set him free. So cutting, let me tell you, cutting is straight from the pit of hell. All right, this thing that's going on uh, today, the thing that was going on 3,000 years ago, straight from the pit of hell. It's associated with the occult. And, and uh, lost my place here. You see, Satan has a little bit of power on this earth. Matter of fact, when Jesus was on this earth, he was out in the wilderness, and Satan comes along to tempt him. And Satan takes him up to a high place, and he overlooks all the kingdoms of the earth, and Satan says, this is all my kingdom. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, Satan, get away from me. It's, it's written already. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only, and him only shall you serve. Jesus didn't say, hey, that's not your kingdom. That's God. No, it's actually, it is Satan's kingdom. But the thing about it is that Satan's authority is only as much as God will allow him. And we can see this in the book of Job. Okay, if you remember the book of Job, 
Job is a, a righteous man. He's, he's, got, he's got a good life on earth. And Satan goes up to heaven, knocks on the door. Hey, God, your guy Job down there, he says he loves you a lot and he's always good to you. But there's a reason for it because you've given him everything that he's ever wanted. He's got a good family. He's got, he's got a good job. He's got, he's got lots of wealth. He's got lots of land. He's got lots of animals. No wonder he loves you. If you took all that away from him, I bet he would curse your name. And God says, all right, Satan, you have authority to take everything away from him. Just don't touch Job. And so Satan does that, and as the story goes, Job never did curse God. God restores Job's fortune to him and says, all right, Satan, see, that's how it goes. But Satan's authority, the, the, the point of it is that Satan's authority had to come from God. And so the question is, well, why? Why would God give Satan any authority at all? And the answer to that is, if you want to be deceived, Satan has just enough authority to deceive you. All right? That God, he says, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife. But this God, Asherah, that, that we're talking about in the Old Testament times, was a very sensual God. Sex, public sex, was like a big part of worshiping Asherah. Covet thy neighbor's wife or this God? Hey, that sounds good. Thou shalt not commit adultery or Asherah? This sounds great. Hey, in modern day America, you don't want to submit to an absolute moral authority? You don't want to say that there's only one true God? Well, that's no problem. Because the fact is, you just evolved from ooze and slime. You used to be a fish, and then you were a monkey, and now you're a human being, and ashes to ashes and dust to dust. You don't have to hold yourself accountable to anything. As a matter of fact, you can believe whatever you want, and what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is going to be right for me. You don't have to hold yourself accountable. You see, if that's the truth, that we evolved from ooze and slime, then it's really not a big deal if we go to the fortune teller. It's really not a big deal to have somebody read your palm. It's just for entertainment purposes anyway, right? Or what about the Ouija board? I had some friends in high school that played that stupid Ouija board game. It's supposed to be a game, but it's really satanic. Stay away from that stuff. Because it's the, it's the first step in deception. And if we're willing to believe that we evolved from ooze and slime, and that palm reading's okay, and that fortune telling's all right, and it's just for entertainment, and that I can do whatever I want, and I can sleep with whoever I want, and I can, do, I can be whoever I want, and what's right for me is right for me, and blah, blah, blah. If we go down that road, then it's really not that big a stretch of imagination to imagine 850 guys dancing around an altar, cutting themselves, trying to get God's attention because of what He had done for them before. Now we want you to do it again, and all of a sudden, that God's not answering. And Elijah says, enough, enough, you guys are killing me here. Actually, you're killing yourselves here. Save that for me. I'll do that later. I'll take care of that later. It's my turn now. So in the evening time, Elijah says, all right, enough's enough. Come around here. He, he, and he has the nation gather around him. And Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. All right, now that sounds like just a long verse. But basically, Elijah, or Elijah took these 12 stones. There was an altar that had been torn down, comprised of 12 stones. And that's very, very important. Because you see, besides the noise, <laughs> there was this thing that had happened about a thousand years before Elijah had been on this earth. About a thousand years before our story, very, way back in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to a guy named Abram. And God later changed the name to Abraham because that's what God does is He assigns new names to people when He has something in mind for them. So God comes to this guy named Abram. He says, uh, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, leave your kinfolk in your father's house, and go to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, that's a big deal. God comes to a, a stranger guy who has no idea who God is. He says, Abram. 
I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to make a great nation of you. Lots of people, lots of land. And in you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So a thousand years later, Abram had a son who became, it was Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, because God changed Jacob's name from he who grasped the heel, changed it to Israel. He who wrestled with God said, you didn't prevail against me, but you were willing to go toe-to-toe with me. And I'm going to continue my promise with Abraham. I'm going to continue it through you. The 12 tribes of Israel become a great family, become a great nation, come into a land with lots of land, and they're only in that land a short time. And here we are just a few hundred years into the promised land, and they've forgotten all about God. They've forgotten that that was the God who, who did what He said He was going to do a thousand years ago, and that He still had a job to do. And they were right in the middle of that, and they'd forgotten all about it. And so Elijah takes those 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel. Remember who you were? Remember where you came from? Remember what God said He was going to do? And he builds that altar back up. He puts a bowl on that altar. He puts the wood on the altar. And then he says, all right, I want you guys to bring me enough water to make this whole thing wet. And he digs a trench all the way around the altar. And he says, pour more water on it. A third time he says, pour more water on it. And the Bible says that that water flowed over the altar, saturated the wood, overflowed the trench that was dug. And water was scarce at this time because there was a famine. And there's absolutely no way that thing's going to light on fire on purpose, let alone on accident. And then Elijah bows his head. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, remember that promise. I'm taking you guys back to where you came from. You who promised us, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, with a capital G, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water even in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah goes out and he kills the prophets of Baal. He kills the prophets of Asherah. God sends rain. He replenishes the land. He restores the land. He brings the people back to Himself. And He says, That promise that I started a thousand years ago, I'm continuing in you. And I still have more to do because all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. You see, there's only one God who has ever sent down fire from heaven. And there's only one God who said to a guy, I'm going to make a great nation of you with lots of land, lots of people, and through you all the nations the of the world are going to be blessed. And that God sent His Son Jesus to this earth. You see, Jesus was born, the Virgin Mary, we remember the Christmas story, born to Mary, who was married to Joseph. Joseph was of the line of David, who was a direct descendant from Abraham. And God said, all the people of the world are going to be blessed and sends his own son, born into that promise that was given to Abraham so long ago. That son of God, Jesus, grew up perfect life, predicted his own death. Many people have predicted their own death. Jesus predicted his own resurrection. He said, I'll, be, I'll die, and on the third day I'll rise again. Only person in all of history who has ever pulled that off. David Koresh of the Waco fiasco predicted his death and resurrection. We're still waiting on him to come back. Jesus came back to life the third day. Not only did he conquer death, he conquered sin in that moment. And because Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death, all the nations of the world are blessed because through Jesus, we have eternal life. You see, Peter, Jesus' disciple, one of his closest friends and followers, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter got arrested. And instead of defending himself at his trial... He ended up preaching a message, and here's what he said. He said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That promise given to Abraham so long ago, fulfilled all the way through Jesus, given to you and me. 
That's the gospel that I'll be preaching on this series this year. And I don't want to make any apologies for it. You see, not all roads lead to heaven. You'll never hear me say all roads lead to heaven. There are many religions in this world, and I'm not here to put any religion down, but let me tell you, religion says do. Every religion of the world that you look at says, here's the list of things that you have to do. Here's what you have to do to be holy before God. Here's what you have to do to be pleasing to God. Jesus says, done. Already did it. I went to the cross and I paid the penalty for that sin. And I rose again to conquer it and you can have eternal life through Jesus. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I came that you'll have an abundant life and that you'll have it here and you'll have it now. You see, there's only hope in Jesus Christ. There's not hope in racing. Racing is going to end. We're going to have a crash. We're going to have to sit a season out with a broken collarbone or whatever's going on here. Your girlfriend's not going to fulfill you. Your boyfriend's not going to fulfill you. Money's not going to fulfill you. It's only the hope in Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm here to, to tell you today. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day I want you to come and see me. Matter of fact, if you don't have a Bible at home, come see me. i got lots of Bibles. I'd love to give them out. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Thanks for staying true to your promise to Abraham so long ago. Uh, thanks for salvation in Jesus. I pray for those that may not know Christ. I pray that uh, they'll come to know Christ. And for those of us that do, may we be beacons of light and sh shine your light into this world of the GNCC Racing Nation. We look forward to a great season. Keep our racers safe today. And we look forward to what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys. Thanks for coming. I'll see you out there. Have a great week.